0: What process do you go through in your life when you have a tough decision to make well at my age all I can tell you is I've made a lot of them you just have to slow yourself down and think the pros and cons and evaluate the you know the entire situation Well there's a lot of deliberation and you know just think about it for a while maybe take some notes research some things uh, you know weigh the pros and cons and then go for it after you've made a decision how it's going to affect me and when it's going to affect me. Like if it's going to matter in six days or six months or even six years from now. But well, would ultimately just think of it on my own for a while, my, you know, to see if I can figure out a solution myself. But um, if I don't feel confident in my own decision, then I would talk to a friend or a relative, somebody close to me that knows me well. Uh, I'm sure I do. I mean, I'm not, I guess I'm not really aware of it. But, uh, I mean, you know, if you think about that sort of thing. and uh... um, I call my mom, <laughs> and I don't really know what else. Um, mostly I just don't think about it until I have to. Well, I usually, actually it sounds corny, but I do make a list of the positives and the negatives. And I, that's what my mom always taught me to do, and the positives outweigh the negatives. then. I go for it, if they don't, then, you know, I give it a second thought. And if I still can't find enough positives, then it's not a good decision to be made. I'm not really good at making decisions. I usually get it from other people. Well, uh, the person on the street interview there in the video, uh, simply asking questions about how you go about making decisions. And so uh, if you ask that same question, how do you go about making decisions? Uh, what process do you go through? Uh, I didn't think I caught anything in there. That's about the third or fourth time I've watched it about any kind of spiritual guidance or insight about scripture reading, uh, prayer, or any of that kind of guidance about that. So the question for us is, as a church, as believers, as we come near the end of this letter that the Apostle Paul has written to the Thessalonian Christians, is: Is uh, do you practice spiritual discernment in making decisions? And if not, Then how do you know what um, what God wants you to do? How do you know what pleases God? How do you know what lifestyle you live is going to be pleasing to God? And so as we come near the end of 1 Thessalonians, we see that, uh, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Paul is coming to what he calls some final instructions about how they're to live, how they're to... live as believers in that culture and in that society. And, and we looked at verses 16 through 22 and you find that there are eight admonitions that Paul gave to us. And so since a few weeks ago in chapter 5 verses 12 through 15 we saw eight principles for biblical relationships. I thought well you know maybe eight points or eight things to discuss <coughs> Excuse me, it might be a little bit too much. So uh, I thought uh, well, we'll break it down a little bit and, and go three last week and then five today. And that reminds me of a story about a pastor that one Sunday had a 26 point sermon, one for every letter in the alphabet. And you can imagine that was a long sermon. And he got a lot of uh, complaints about that during the week. So the next Sunday he said, Well, since everybody complained about my 26 point sermon last week, today's sermon will be pointless. Well, Uh, I hope that what I have to say today is not pointless. I hope that you will understand that what I'm saying to you is important. Uh, Paul thought it was important enough to impart to these Thessalonian believers, to give them guidance to how to make decisions with spiritual discernment. And I want us to be able to do the same thing. So look at the scripture with me in chapter 5 beginning in verse 19. Uh, Paul says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil." Now, there are five phrases there. Last week we covered the first three. Do you remember what those were? We talked about them as being the standing orders of the Gospel. I made that, I made that kind of easier for you to talk, to talk about three of them. And that reminds me of another story while you think about what we talked about last week, those three points. A granddaughter went to spend the weekend with Grandma and Grandpa out on the farm, and she was hoping that they wouldn't have to go to church on Sunday. She just wanted to spend time on the farm. And the grandmother on Saturday night said, no, we're going to go. we go to Sunday school and to worship. And the little girl said, well, why do we have to do that? And Grandmama said, well, we need to learn more about God. We need to learn all about him that we can. And she says, well, I did that at my home church. And Grandmama said, well, I've been going to church all my life, and I still don't know everything about God. A little granddaughter looked at her and said, maybe that's because you weren't paying attention. (laughs) All right, maybe you weren't paying attention last week. What were the three things we talked about last week that Paul talks about uh, in these final admonitions? What about joy and rejoicing? Rejoice always. You choose to rejoice. How about prayer? Pray, pray constantly. Be in contact with God all the time. And what about being thankful? In all circumstances, you know, you pay attention. You did extremely well. I give you an A for that today. All right? That blesses my heart when you listen and then you remember. That's good. Now, let's look at the next five. Paul gives us these five admonitions then that will help guide us in making uh, spiritual decisions, other kinds of decisions with spiritual discernment. First thing he says is do not put out the Spirit's fire. And that's in reference, of course, to the Holy Spirit. Um, all sin that we know about, all sin that we commit, all sin described in the Bible is always sin against God. But there are three specific sins pointed out in the New Testament about sins against the Holy Spirit. First of all there is the unpardonable sin where we blasphemy the Holy Spirit. And just to put that down in a simple definition simply means is that we reject the, the ministry of the Spirit that tries to convict us of our sin and teach us about the righteousness of Christ. Uh, We reject the teaching of the Spirit about the truth about Jesus Christ. And and we continue to put the Spirit's movement in our life off until oftentimes our heart has become so hardened that the Holy Spirit can't get through to us at all. You just keep putting that off, putting that off, putting that off. And that's a a sin committed by uh, an unbeliever. Then the second sin against the Holy Spirit that's mentioned is what is called grieving the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now how do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we get involved in activities and actions and lifestyles that are not pleasing to the Holy Spirit. Like uh, when kids disappoint their parents, the parents grieve over the behavior of their kids. And that's how the Holy Spirit does with us when we live an unholy life lifestyle. And when we do things that we probably know we shouldn't be doing, but we do, uh, then that grieves the Holy Spirit. And then the third spirit sin against the Holy Spirit is one that Paul mentions here. And he says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. King James Version says, don't quench the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is often displayed uh, and and portrayed for us in Scripture as fire and flame. When God called Moses and, and wanted to get his attention, what did God use? He used a burning bush. And then when Moses was leading the children of Israel out uh, uh, from captivity to those promised land, there was a pillar of fire that, that went before them and guided them. In Luke 12, Jesus talked about coming to earth uh, like fire. And that, and that meant that we get to experience the warmth and the purity and the energy of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. But sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit or we put out the Holy Spirit's fire. We, we don't have candles in this service, because we've got to be a little bit less formal. But in the uh, 845 service, we have candles, make it a little bit more formal. And the candles burn as a symbol of the Holy Spirit here. And I always kid the ushers, and I ask them, you got enough candle in there that's going to last the whole service? Because if it goes out before the service is over, that means the Holy Spirit leaves us, okay? You're responsible for that. All right? But anyway, he you go back to this, yeah, how do we quench or how do we put out the Spirit's fire? Well, let me make these observations first of all when we ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something for somebody you're in your quiet time and you're praying about a specific thing or you're just going through your your normal routines about your quiet time and God constantly brings up somebody's name into your mind what do you do well obviously right there you ought to pray for them because that's God bringing that into your mind the Holy Spirit's nudging you with that But see, oftentimes the Holy Spirit nudges us by bringing somebody into our mind, our attention, uh, and and we need to call them or send them a note or send them an email or text them or do something just to say, hey, am I quiet time today? God laid you on my heart. And I just want to know everything okay with you. Is there something I can pray about? But what happens to us most of the time? Oftentimes we just think, okay, God, you you put that in my mind, but i got to finish my prayer time, i got to finish my quiet time, and we go on and we fail to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do ministry. Uh, We also quench the Spirit when we ignore the warnings of the Holy Spirit about sin. I'm sure every one of us in here at some point in time in our life was faced with either falling into this temptation to sin, everybody was doing it, or it was there as an opportunity, we felt nobody was watching, we could do this, and yet there was the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts saying, no, that's wrong, don't do that, that's not right, don't do that. And we've had that battle, you know, like, you got a little devil on one side of a body on one shoulder, and you got an angel on the other one, you know, and that's your conscience speaking to you. Well, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do that, it's sinful, it's wrong, don't do that. And uh, how many times have we ignored that and we did it anyway? And see, when we do that, when we quench the Holy Spirit, we put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing that we do against the Holy Spirit is what Paul mentions here. And he says, that when he says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, he talks to us about uh, the fact that sometimes in our spiritual response to the Word of God, that we can, that we can put out the Spirit of God. And that's when we are prompted by the Holy Spirit through the Word or through the preaching of the Word to respond to God's call in our life. To either to make that decision to be His child, to make a profession of faith, to give our life to Him, or to answer some kind of call to leadership. You've had the opportunity to step up and be a leader somewhere. You were asked to lead, serve, and the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, yes, that's what you need to do. And then you still make that decision and you say no. And when we do that, we begin to, to put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. You see, it could be that some of you students, at, or indeed now this weekend, some of you had God's Spirit speaking to you through the music or through the words of the speaker or through the, through the Bible as you heard that read. Some of you need to make decisions for Christ. Some of you need to answer some of um, the callings that God has for your life. Others of you have ne- to make that decision to accept Christ and be baptized. And, and you need to listen to that prompting, guiding, and leading of the Holy Spirit. Because you don't want to put that out. You don't want to put that flame out. So don't quench the Spirit. Don't put out the flame of the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing in making wise decisions. The second thing Paul said is do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now what does he mean by that? Well we go back to the Old Testament and we look at the role of the prophets. And they were, it was twofold. Sometimes it was to uh, foretell, which was to predict the future. Or tell what was going to happen in the future when they had a strong word from God. But more times than not, it was forth telling. That is that they were telling forth the message that God had given them to give to His people. And and that was the role of the prophets more times than it was to predict about the future, okay? Now, oftentimes then, those words from those prophets were rejected. People had contempt for that. And they would reject what the prophets had to say. And it would break God's heart. And it would break the hearts of the, of the people who were sent with that message. You know, my main responsibility as your pastor, in the midst of other things that come up during the course of a week's time or months happening, is that Sunday by Sunday, week by week, when I stand before you on this hallowed spot on Sunday mornings, is to faithfully proclaim to you the Word of God. I want to give you words of encouragement. I want to strengthen you in your faith and your walk with God. And I want to hopefully inspire you to do something great for the kingdom of God. And the driving scripture, one of my life scriptures is found in Matthew 13, 52. In Matthew 13, Jesus has been talking through a series of parables about the kingdom of heaven. And he comes near the end of that chapter and he says in verse 52, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and new. And old. Now, how does that relate to my preaching week by week? My challenge is to remind you of the old things, the things you know. You know, about the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the, uh, the teachings of Jesus about this, the teaching about tithing, all those things that we're supposed to know or we've heard. But then at the same time, there are some things in Scripture that maybe you've not heard, or you need to hear it with a little bit different twists to it to inspire you and encourage you to do something as you hear the Word of God. Now, there have been a lot of different um, definitions about preaching. Some of them are in jest, but some of them I have really seen lived out. Preaching has been described in one way as clearing off a spot and having a fit thereupon. And you probably have seen that happen at some places. Another definition of it is preaching is reading a text and then departing therefrom. You ever sat through a worship experience and the pastor read a passage of scripture and then he began to preach and it had absolutely nothing to do with the passage of scripture? He never referred to that scripture. He never used it in any way. You know what was going on? He had a message. He had something he wanted to preach and he just found a passage of scripture that would go with it. And that's all he did. Just to justify that he was going to get it out of the Bible. See, my hope is that always... When I get a passage of Scripture laid on my heart and I've worked with it all week long, that I'm going to deal with that passage of Scripture. I might bring in others that support that passage of Scripture, but I'm not going to deviate from that. And I'm not going to preach anything that's not in the Bible because I want to inform you. I want to teach you something. I want you to learn something about being here. I want to encourage you in your walk of faith or whatever's going on in your life. And then I want to inspire you to do something for the kingdom of God. Now get back to this issue when he says that don't have contempt for the prophecies. What's the issue Paul was addressing? Well, obviously there there were some believers among the Thessalonians um, who were ignoring the inspired preaching of the leaders. They were holding it in contempt. Now what does that mean? Well, let's look at what it means in the in the law system in a courtroom to be held in contempt of court. And this is a legal definition of contempt of court. Individuals may be cited for contempt when they disobey an order, fail to comply with a request, tamper with documents, withhold evidence, interrupt proceedings through their actions or words, or otherwise defy the public authority or hold it up to ridicule and disrespect. I see, if you do those kinds of things to the preaching of God's word, you ridicule it, um, you hold it up in disrespect you ignore it, then you're having contempt for the Word of God. And if you do that, you're going to constantly disobey God. And you're not going to have the wisdom from the Word of God to make wise decisions. You won't be able to practice spiritual discernment in your spiritual making process. Now, that leads to the third thing that Paul says. And it's a short phrase. Test everything, Paul says. Test everything. Why do we need to do that? to make sure that it comes from the Bible, to make sure that it's the Word of God, to make sure that it's what God wants you to hear. You know, I, I, uh, w- one of the things that, that really sends a kind of a shiver through my soul is when I hear somebody that I've kind of been a little bit maybe suspect about where they are in relationship with God, stand up and say, God told me to say this or God told me to do this. And then I go back and take what they said and I, I base it against what the Bible says. And it's exactly the opposite of what God has said in his word. Then that was not from the word. or That was not from God, the word that they spoke. It was probably from their ego. Or something they ate last night, the pizza they ate the night before. See, that's why we're called to test everything. If somebody tells you that this is the Word of God and you don't find it in the Word of God, then it's not the Word of God. Don't listen to it. Don't believe it. Don't fall victim to it. In fact, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John and he said, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It is a sad but true statement. Church people, Christians, believers, followers of Christ, however you want to put it, we're notorious for being some of the most gullible people in all the world. I believe if somebody would put up a stand on the street corner and sell autographed pictures of Jesus Christ, you'd buy some of them. I'm still amazed at the emails I get forward to me about Madeline Murray O'Hare, Petitioning the FCC, and I think that's Federal Communications Commission. I couldn't think of that final word in 845. You know, to take all religious broadcasting off the air. Let me tell you something. That woman is dead. She died 25 years ago. She has no petition going on. But yet 40 million people have sent FCC to the FCC, signed petitions about that. I'll tell you what's going to happen if you keep doing that. FCC is finally going to get ticked off with Christians, and they're going to take that off the air. She's dead. She's gone. You ever get these things about Procter and Gamble's logo is a satanic symbol? No, that's false. My research tells me that was a rumor started by Amway distributors. If you're an Amway distributor, I apologize to you. But I want to—is Amway still in operation? Is that still in operation with the pyramid scheme and all that? You know what, what I think about about Amway? I always think about a gift I got that was soap on a rope. Any of you get that? You guys get that? You know what I'm talking about? A soap on a rope. You need to put it around your neck. I never could figure out if you put it around your neck, how are you supposed to wash your feet and all that? Or what are you supposed to, it on the shower? And all? Anyway, soap on a rope. But here, the bottom line is, test everything. Somebody tries to sell you soap on a rope, don't get it. All right? You can't believe everything that you hear. You can't believe everything you read. Now, this was a strong church, the Thessalonian church. I've called it the faithful church in this, in this sermon series. But I want you to notice something different between them and the Bereans down the road. Because in Acts 17 verse 11, this is what Luke wrote about the Berean believers. He said, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians... For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, I want to give you a challenge. Every Sunday I want you to look at your notes you take or as you listen carefully. Maybe you don't need to take notes. And if I ever teach you something that I say, this is what God says and it's not in the Bible, I want you to call me on it. Okay? Because my intent is to do nothing but preach to you the word of God that's in this Bible. But I want to challenge you to test everything you hear. Test everything you hear. I've told people that funeral homes, emergency waiting rooms, and um, operating uh, waiting rooms are, are notorious for having some of the most awful theology you can ever hear people come up with. And I've always said to people who went through that time of crisis, listen, filter everything you hear through the Word of God. People are trying to be nice and kind, but they're not necessarily right. And so I'll say to you, if you want to try to comfort somebody, don't try to defend God. Don't try to describe God. Don't, don't try to explain what God is doing. He doesn't need to be explained. Just be there with them. Just be there. If you can't say anything more than the fact that this was God's will, then just, just be there. Just Have a ministry of presence, okay? Oftentimes people say when they deacons sometimes say, well I wouldn't know what to say in a situation like that. And I say, well just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. You'll be all right. Remember Job and his three friends that came to comfort him? As long as they sat there in the dust and ashes with him that was fine. But when they opened their mouth and started rambling off this theological perspective, you know Job said sorry comforters are you. You know because they were all wrong and God finally got tired of it and He rebuked them all. So, I'm Roman here a little bit, but that's in the Bible as well, okay? Filter everything. Test everything. Fourth thing is, now this relates back to this. Not having contempt for the Word, then you test everything through the Word as a filter. Then Paul says, hold on to the good. Now, what does he mean by that? It means when we understand the teaching of God and we know what's right and we know what's wrong, we know what God approves as good, we're supposed to hold on to it. In terms of doctrine, in terms of activities, in terms of the truth that God wants for our life, we're to keep a firm grip on it. Your grip in the game of golf is one of the most important things. The first thing you need to do is learn how to grip a golf club. And somehow it's been described to me as this. Because if you've got too firm a grip on that club, you can't swing with a nice, soft, fluid swing. And so we've been told, at least I've been told by some instructors, you want to grip it like you would a baby bird. Firm enough to keep it so it won't fly away, but not so firm that you would crush it. Well, that's not what Paul says about the good things. Paul says, Hold firm to that which is good. In other words, live a good lifestyle by the basics of what the Bible teaches us. Do good things. Let your behavior and your actions be good. Now, they don't get us into heaven, but if we know Christ, then we live a good life. We do good things. Paul wrote to Galatians and said, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, we're supposed to persevere. We're to hold on to that good. We're to keep on doing good. That means sometimes you have to watch where you go and what you do and the company you keep. And and the reason for that is, and you might say, well, you know, Jesus came and he was called the friend of sinners, absolutely. And if he were to come back today... That's where he would go. To spend time on earth, he would go where the sinners were because those were the ones that needed to hear the Word. And you need to to have some non-Christian friends so you can witness to them. But if they're in devious lifestyle, don't get involved in that. And here's the word of caution I give to you. If you're going to venture into the den of sin to rescue somebody, you've got to be strong in your faith and strong in your convictions because it's a whole lot easier to bring somebody down than it is to lift somebody up. Always remember that. Always remember that. But we are called to do good deeds. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and do what? Brag about what a good person you are? No, what did he say? That they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That is why we do good deeds. Now here is the fifth thing Paul says. Paul says, Avoid every kind of evil. See, that goes right back with your lifestyle. We're talking about doing good. Avoid every kind of evil. King James takes it to this level. Avoid even the appearance of evil. Why? Two reasons why. First, when you say you're a Christian, people are watching you. And you do things that non-Christians do as a part of your lifestyle, you lose your influence. You lose your influence. When you lose your influence, that's like being salt. That's no good for anything. It's thrown out into the road just to be trampled on, fill gaps in the road, fill up holes in the road. You lose your influence. And the second thing, if you hang out with people doing bad things, more than likely, I talked about it, it's easy to bring you down. You're going to do the things that they do. You know, it's simple. Your mama told you this. Your grandmama told you this. You sleep with dogs, you're going to get what? Fleas. We all know that. So avoid every kind of evil. Now, Paul's already pointed out some things for us here. It makes it easy for us. Uh, He talks about the things we should avoid. He talks about sexual immorality, and drunkenness, and stealing, and and all kinds of things he talked about in earlier about not supposed to be a part of our lifestyle. I, I, I discovered this this week, or had it reminded to me once again. You look at the word evil. We don't want to do evil. You know what, evil, turn it around and spell it backwards. What do you come up with? E-V-I-L, spell it backwards. It's live, L-I-V-E. Sometimes we think to really live, we've got to live that evil lifestyle. Because that's where the fun is. And that's not necessarily so. Don't get those mixed up. Avoid even the very concept of Evil. And Paul would say this to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2:22. 2, he would say, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue the righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee the devil. Flee the evil desires. You know, if you it's you know, the old saying is: "If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. If you can't stand the temptation, get away from it. Run from it. Avoid that evil. You, know, you talk about if you flee from the devil, eventually he'll leave you alone." Paul says, "Avoid that evil lifestyle." Now, the whole issue began today to look at this last, next to the last section. And next week, we'll bring a conclusion to this, as Paul talks about being fully. Formed to maturity and the Holy Spirit's work in doing that. But we talked about making decisions. And how do you, how, how, how do you go about making decisions? We well, have to do it as a believer with spiritual discernment. And I think Paul gives us five great uh, principles, guidelines, biblical admonitions, whatever you want to call them. About how we can make wise decisions. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. That is, hold the Word of God in highest respect. Test everything, filter everything through the Bible. Hold on to the good, be faithful to God and avoid every kind of evil. Run from the temptation of sin. I see some of you are faced with making some decisions this day, this week. You're going to be faced with it at school before long. You're going to be faced with it at work. Be faced with it maybe at home in your community. If it's something that you think God is, you find it questionable whether God wants you to do it or not, go back to these five biblical principles and test it by that. See, some, and others of you have decisions to make about Christ and your relationship to Christ and your life in the kingdom of God. There are some things in here that, 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 that will guide you in that. In other words, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Don't deny the Word of God when it convicts you of sin. You know, flee evil when it's tempting you and it's overpowering you. Test everything that's out there. Is this right? Is this wrong? What what does the Bible say about it? Test things. Hold on to that which is good as a believer in Christ. I pray that together from the teachings of this passage of Scripture we'll make wise decisions about our life. All to the glory of God. Father, thank you for the writings that we find here in your word. Uh, We thank you for Paul's care and concern for the Thessalonian believers and how that still applies to us so strongly and so powerfully today. And I pray that as we try to follow you and be the best believer that we can be by following you, that we will make wise decisions Uh, through biblical discernment spiritual discernment based on what you tell us in your word. Father for those who need to make decisions today to join with Spring Valley and Promise of Letter or to step out on faith and claim Christ as Savior and Lord or for any other decision that needs to be made today. Father I pray that the movement of the Holy Spirit in this place will not be quenched the flame of the Holy Spirit will not be put out but will be allowed to move and convict people and people will respond from the depths of their heart. And I pray all of this, Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.